Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. Thank you so much for joining us on Michigan Minds. Can you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your role at the University of Michigan? Sure. So my name is Greg Keolian. I'm a professor in the School for Environment and Sustainability and also a professor in Civil Environmental Engineering. And I teach courses on sustainable energy systems and also industrial ecology. And I serve as the director of the Center for Sustainable Systems here at the university and also co-director of a recently launched initiative called My Hydrogen. Thank you. And in what areas does your research focus? So I develop and apply models for evaluating the sustainability performance of products and technology. So I look at the production of materials, the manufacturing, the use of the product, and the end-of-life management or the recovery of resources when a product is retired. And I measure the environmental footprint. So I measure the energy consumption, the carbon emissions associated with the product, and develop a profile so we understand where the impacts distribute across the life cycle and evaluate alternatives and strategies for improving these products. And so I've been conducting probably over 100 uh, different studies and have studied systems such as alternative vehicle technologies like autonomous vehicles, electric vehicles, uh, renewable energy systems like wind and solar and biomass, uh, buildings, infrastructure, consumer products, packaging, and food systems over my career here. So can you tell us about the work and research of the UM Center for Sustainable Systems? Sure. So I co-founded the center back in 1991 through a competitive grant from US EPA. So we just actually celebrated our 30th anniversary just a couple of years ago. And our mission is to develop and apply systems-based models and metrics to enhance sustainability of systems. And our vision is focusing on accelerating the sustainability transformation uh, of these systems. And that includes mobility systems, shelter, water, food systems, energy systems. And so we have um, about a dozen faculty and staff uh, that are core to the center. And we collaborate with colleagues from across campus, engineering, business, architecture, for example, and also collaborate directly with industry, business and industry, government agencies, NGOs, and national labs. And we're a very lean group, but I'd like to believe we have uh, a lot of impact. Um, Much of our focus is on accelerating the clean energy transition and advancing climate solutions. Um, We are facing a climate emergency that is expected to have very negative consequences in terms of the planet's life support system. We're observing this today. We see drought. We see uh, problems with regard to uh, flooding, coastal flooding, um, more extreme weather events. Um, We clearly see the warming in terms of temperature. And 
even you know the damage is is real in terms of cost, and the the insurance agency is is uh, certainly recognizing this. Um, so, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has determined that we need to reduce our carbon emissions in half by 2030, and we need to hit carbon neutrality by 2050. Um, and their latest report has indicated that we're really falling short in terms of the trajectory to get to those targets. And, you know, we really need to accelerate and, and focus on reductions. And that is what our Center for Sustainable Systems is really emphasizing. Earth Month is celebrated annually during the month of April. In reference to the research published by the UM Center for Sustainable Systems, can you talk a bit about three areas where carbon emissions can be reduced by consumers? Sure. Um, so we need to accelerate climate action and consumers have a very important role. So about a third of the U.S. greenhouse gas emissions come from the transportation sector and automobiles uh, contribute about two thirds of that uh, transportation footprint. Buildings account for another third of the total U.S. greenhouse gas emissions, and half of those emissions are from residential homes. The other half is from commercial buildings. And then food production is responsible for about a fifth of the U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. So consumers really have a great deal of leverage in addressing the climate crisis through their decisions. Thank you so much. And starting with what people can do in their homes to reduce their carbon footprint, can you describe some best practices for heating and cooling and for household appliances? Sure. So there are many ways to reduce energy consumption and carbon-related emissions in your home. And I would start with insulation. So heating and cooling accounts for over 40% of the energy use in the U.S., um, and so we should focus on insulating the building envelope first. So that's the exterior of the building, the walls, the roof. Um, so adding insulation there. And EPA estimates that homeowners can quickly save on the average 15% uh, on their uh, heating and cooling costs. And then I would turn to tackling your heating equipment because the majority of homes are currently heated with natural gas and we need to shift to clean electricity. And the most efficient uh, equipment is a geothermal heat pump, and that moves heat from the ground into your home very efficiently. Uh, a less expensive option is an air source heat pump. Um, it's not quite as efficient, but also can be uh, very effective in terms of reducing your carbon footprint. Um, in Michigan, I would recommend that you install a cold climate certified uh, air source heat pump. And so insulation first, and then look at replacing your furnace and boiler for improving uh, the efficiency and reducing your emissions. And um, this is a more costly investment than the insulation, but also something that's really critical for reducing the footprint. And then next I would turn to upgrading appliances. So we've con conducted a lot of research over the last 20 years on optimal replacement policy. So when you should replace your refrigerator, your air conditioner, uh, taking into account 
the emissions, the energy, and the cost. Um, so we modeled refrigerators, for example, looking at the energy and greenhouse gas emissions associated with manufacturing the refrigerator, the emissions associated with refrigerants, insulation, the operation of the refrigerator. And we found that, uh, you know, replacement, you know, depending on what the objective is, is it cost, is it energy? Um, we, but we found that um, refrigerators older than 15 years at the time should be replaced to save energy and, and cost. And so uh, recommendation here, um, households that have refrigerators in their garage or in their basement that are 20 years old uh, should definitely be replaced because they'll save energy and reduce carbon footprint. Um, so when you're shopping for appliances, um, you could look at the DOE labels, which indicate how much electricity is used per year in kilowatt hours. And also, they'll indicate how much you spend on your electricity bill uh, for that appliance in the year. So um, energystar.gov is a very good resource for getting a listing of uh, the most efficient appliances. When it comes to clothes washing, we recommend that you use cold water whenever possible because water heating accounts for majority of the energy use or about 3% of the home energy use. Uh, and then after you wash your clothes, you need to dry them. And many homes use natural gas for their dryers. Again, we need to transition to electricity and probably a better option in terms of reducing emissions are thinking about a clothesline. <laughs> Going back to uh, maybe what your parents or grandparents used to use, you know, a simple solution that could be very effective. Clothes drying is about 3% of your energy use. So in the summertime, you could eliminate that. Um, then I would move to cooking and we cook with natural gas, many of us, or electricity. Um, I understand, you know, shifting away from natural gas might, might be difficult. Um, that's a preferred practice for many, but conventional stovetops are, are not so efficient. In terms of transferring energy to the cookware, it's only like 32% efficient. Your conventional electric stove is about 75 to 80% efficient. The best technology to use is induction uh, cooktops, and there your efficiency is about 85% but you gotta make sure you have compatible cookware. So you need to use uh, cast iron or steel for the induction uh, heating to heat up the cookware. Um, but those are some solutions with regard to cooking. Um, we've also uh, conducted research on lighting. So really looking at LED technology and replacing incandescents and compact fluorescents. Um, and we found that while well, LEDs save in terms of operating energy about 90% of the electricity. So uh, a real opportunity to cut down on your utility bills and to cut down on carbon emissions. Uh, and um, I was an early adopter with LED technology, so I replaced a lot of the recessed cans in our house. And these were $100, a, a recessed lamp. Um, today, the, this is much less than probably 40, even you can get these for uh, $30. I was an early adopter, but most of the practices I'm highlighting here have very quick payback times. Um, not everybody has to be an early adopter, but 
I try to practice what I preach. And I learned a lot from that, uh, uh, picking up that technology. The, the actual carbon reduction for using efficient electric appliances and heating systems depends on the electrical grid and what are the energy sources going into the grid. And currently in the United States, we use about 20% uh, of the energy comes from renewables, 20% uh, comes from nuclear, and the balance comes from coal and natural gas. Um, the nuclear and the renewables are essentially zero carbon emissions. There are some emissions associated with manufacturing, wind turbines and, and solar panels, and also with the nuclear fuel cycle, but essentially very close to zero. So we need to transition away from the gas and, and coal, and coal is the most carbon intensive. Um, a coal plant will emit typically about 1,000 grams per kilowatt hour of CO2, which is about two pounds of carbon dioxide per kilowatt hour, whereas a natural gas plant, much cleaner, um, is about one pound per kilowatt hour, so half the carbon intensity of a coal plant. But we, we really need to accelerate our, our transition to renewables, and the good news is that renewables are the fastest growing source of electricity in the United States. So the last climate action at home that I'd like to reference is focused on dishwashing. So water uh, treatment and wastewater treatment are very energy intensive and carbon intensive. So strategies to reduce water use are very important. And we conducted a study with Whirlpool to look at the energy, carbon emissions, and water use associated with dishwashing. And we compared typical manual dishwashing or hand washing with typical machine washing. And we found that the greenhouse gas emissions associated with a machine dishwasher were half that of hand washing. And also the water savings was, was also significant, you know, two times the water savings with the, the dishwasher. And um, one of the practices that, that really contributes to both hand washing and dishwashers is that people run the tap when they're washing dishes or removing food from the dishes before they load their dishwasher. So a key strategy with, with dishwashing is, is to not run the tap and you know, scrape your dishes or if you're hand washing, use basins. Uh, with regard to the dishwasher, it's you know, scrape your dishes, but then also fully load your machine and then deselect the heated dry. Uh, you don't really need the heated dry, which takes a lot of energy. So those are opportunities with regard to dishwashing. And again, all practices uh, that save water will result in emissions reductions from the water treatment plant and the wastewater treatment plant. So mobility is another area in which people can reduce the amount of carbon emissions they produce. Can you share a bit about the center's work with reducing carbon emissions in the area of mobility and what right-sizing is or how we can use it in our daily lives? Sure. So majority of personal mobility in the U.S. is by the automobile. So we've done a lot of work studying the automobile in terms of our life cycle modeling. 
So in the mid-90s, we did one of the first comprehensive life cycle studies of a mid-sized car where we modeled the 20,000 parts and components. Uh, it took us three years to develop the inventory, and we found that 85% of the energy is in the use of the vehicle, the, the operation of the vehicle. And the other 15% were in the materials and the manufacturing of, of the vehicle. Um, so in terms of reducing the footprint from automobiles, uh, electrification is really the key strategy that industry is pursuing. And we recently completed a study evaluating the carbon emissions comparing an internal combustion engine vehicle, a hybrid electric vehicle, and an all-battery electric vehicle across vehicle types. So we looked at sedans, SUVs, and pickup trucks. And we found that the life cycle greenhouse gas emissions are cut in half when you compare a new internal combustion engine vehicle with a battery electric vehicle. So the battery electric vehicle cuts those emissions in half for example, if you look at a new SUV over its life cycle, the emissions per mile are about a pound of CO2 emission emitted per mile. If you go from an, a gas-powered SUV to an electric, battery electric SUV, those emissions would be about a half pound of CO2 uh, per mile. So independent of the vehicle type, you're cutting your emissions in half on average across the United States and going from the gas-powered vehicle to the battery electric vehicle equivalent. Interestingly, we found that with battery electric vehicles, the greenhouse gas emissions in the production of the vehicle actually double. And this is due to the battery, but um, fortunately, it's very important, the emissions overall in the life cycle are, are dramatically reduced because of the reduction of emissions in operating the vehicle. So there is a clear net benefit with the EVs. Uh, we found that the payback is less than two years with regard to EVs versus internal combustion engine vehicles. And it's important to note that the level of reduction in terms of greenhouse gas emissions depends on your location. So it depends on the climate you're in, um, colder climates take more energy for heating in the wintertime. We also took, and, and gas-powered vehicles aren't um, as efficient in the cold as well. Um, but uh, more importantly is for electric vehicles is the source of electricity. What is the fuel mix um, where you're charging your vehicle? So we developed maps um, for uh, the carbon emissions for the internal combustion engine vehicles, hybrid electrics, and battery electric vehicle by vehicle type, um, you know, sedan, SUV, and, and pickup. So you could see uh, what the actual emissions are and what the savings are from the electric vehicles. Uh, but those of you that are interested in, in purchasing a new vehicle, and hopefully it will be a, a battery electric vehicle, a, a very good resource is fueleconomy.gov, um, which, produces the fuel economy, but also gives information on carbon emissions. They have calculators to uh, determine what your savings are relative to gasoline-powered vehicles or the average in-class vehicles. And so they, and they also uh, list best-in-class by vehicle size. 
which models um, you should consider or you can consider. So regarding right sizing, um, right sizing is where you schedule and match the most efficient vehicle in your household with a specific trip purpose. And this is a practice that's used in, in fleets. They want to you know, take into account location, take into account what the need is, uh, and what vehicles are available in the fleet. Uh, but this could be applied at the home as well. So for example, you should really consider commuting to work in a sedan rather than an SUV or a pickup, right? It's, you don't need the utility of the SUV or the pickup and unless you're in the service industry or in the trades, you'll use the pickup, but, um, you know, really think about scheduling vehicles and, and assigning vehicles to trips. Uh, you know, when you're taking the family vacation, you use the SUV or the, the wagon. Uh, but, um, so we found actually, uh, uh, doctoral student did research on right sizing and found that you could save up to 20% in terms of energy consumption by better assigning vehicles in, in your household for trips. And that's without changing the mix of vehicles in your household. So the other thing when you're looking at purchasing a vehicle, think about the composition of vehicles in your household. Um, and diversity is really the best solution. If you, you, know, you have a large family, uh, diversity so you could you know, take the whole family or take the uh, you know, kids to the soccer games, uh, fully load up the SUV or wagon, but then have that sedan for commuting and, and single occupant trips. And then the other related is bundling your trip. So we did a study on how to get groceries to your house. So we looked at over 60 different ways to do that from everything from you know, home delivery with autonomous vehicles and trucks to um, using electric vehicles to drive to the grocery store, even drones. We studied drones in, in terms of delivery. But you know, one of the methods that's very easy is, is bundling and trip chaining where you will pick up your groceries on the way home from work rather than take a special trip to the grocery store. So that's a very simple practice that everybody can, can do. In addition uh, to these, uh, to reduce your mobility footprint, um, you should consider taking advantage of public transportation, which in many cases is underutilized, but, but can be much more efficient. So, you know, taking buses, taking trains, we have a very wonderful system here in Ann Arbor, the AATA, um, and university employees and staff and students actually can ride free, which is a nice benefit. But if you look at statistics in the United States, buses actually take more energy per passenger mile than any of the other modes, including cars, including planes. And that's because the occupancy on average is about eight passengers per bus. And you know, buses can handle many more passengers. So we really need to increase ridership. Now, you know, some bus routes are very packed and they're gonna be very efficient, but on average, efficiency is, is not as good as other modes, surprisingly. And planes, for example, probably, you know, if you've been on a, a trip recently, they're packed, right? So they have very high occupancy, which reduces their footprint per passenger mile. 
And then the other thing we studied is telework or remote work, which during COVID, we found that transportation energy went down and a lot of that was due to remote work. And so we found though that there's your home office energy or your home energy use will go up, but that was pretty much offset by a reduction in energy use from commercial office buildings. So pretty much a wash there, but you reduce the transportation uh, footprint. So telework, teleconferencing is really a big opportunity, again, to reduce mobility, energy use, and carbon emissions. Wonderful. Thank you. And food waste and diet ships are other ways to cut emissions. Can you tell us more about this method? Sure. So U.S. agricultural production accounts for about 10% of greenhouse gas emissions. And beef is the most carbon-intensive and water-intensive food in our diet. Uh, in a study we conducted of U.S. diets, the upper quintile, or 20% of the population, was responsible for about half of the agricultural production greenhouse gas emissions. And that cohort consumed more calories and had more uh, meat-intensive diets. So two important strategies here. Uh, the first, reducing food waste is probably the easiest. Um, 30 to 40% of food available for human consumption is lost or wasted in the United States. So there's a huge opportunity. Much of this waste occurs at home. So we really need to consider better shopping practices, better management of food at home in your refrigerator, for example, to avoid spoilage. So each pound of food waste that we could avoid will have direct benefits in reducing the carbon emissions across the food supply chain from egg production to processing to retail. Um, all of those could be reduced just by doing a better job of, you know, managing our diets or what we're going to cook and and when we shop really um, so big opportunity there the other which is is probably more difficult is diet shift because food is very cultural right um, but we should understand and I, I already mentioned this but red meat beef pork lamb uh, represent about 10 percent of the calories in our diet but are responsible for about half, almost half of the greenhouse gas emissions of, of the um, ag production. But there are many plant-based proteins available. So you got legumes, which uh, include dry peas, include lentils. We have uh, soy products like tofu, nuts, peanuts, uh, seeds, they can dramatically reduce your carbon footprint. And there are a lot of co-benefits associated with plant-based protein in terms of reduction in your food bill. Um, there's a lot of lower risk in terms of diet-related disease, everything, you know, chronic diseases um, or chronic conditions, diseases such as cardiovascular disease, type two diabetes, obesity. Um, so. There's co-benefits in terms, in, you know, you can reduce your carbon emissions, but you improve your health. Um, and we conducted a study of plant-based burgers where we compared a beef burger 
with a Beyond Meat burger and found you know dramatic reductions in carbon emissions. So greenhouse gas emissions were reduced by 90%. Similarly, water emission or water consumption was reduced by 90%. So again, you know, co-benefits from from a shift in your diet. As the podcast comes to a close, what is one thing you hope listeners remember from this conversation? So what's important here is that each of us can play a role and make a difference. Um, whether it's simple actions like turning off lights or replacing incandescent bulbs with LEDs or reducing your food waste, uh, line drying your clothes or bundling trips or making you know bigger investments, uh, significant investments like insulating your attic or uh, installing heat pumps or buying an electric car. All of these actions are beneficial. You know, we're in a climate emergency that impacts all of us, uh, but particularly vulnerable populations. And, and really, it's about future generations, our children, our grandchildren, and what they will face. And so we all need to take responsibility, and particularly those of us that have more means or can afford it can do more in terms of addressing this climate crisis. Thank you. And is there anything else you would like to share? So we focused our conversation here, Samantha, on consumers' role, uh, but business and industry, uh, government, you know, policymakers, NGOs, academics, um, all have a critical role in terms of accelerating clean energy transitions. So in addition uh, to your role as a consumer, uh, there's a lot that could be done uh, at, at your work uh, in terms of the decisions you make, the uh, actions you take. Uh, and finally, um, you know, for more information about um, some of the actions I highlighted, um, you could take a look at our research at our Center for Sustainable Systems, and I recommend you know, visiting our website at css.umich.edu. Um, we have a collection of over 30 sustainability fact sheets uh, that include um, actions that you could take to reduce your carbon footprint. We actually have a campaign for Fund the Facts to support our students that update our fact sheet collection with over 2,000 uh, facts with a thousand different sources. And I highlighted some of those facts here, uh, but you could dive deeper um, by visiting our website. So thank you very much. Thank you so much for joining us. It has been an absolute honor to talk with you today and learn from you. Thank you, Samantha. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.